Again, we're in Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and we're beginning, uh, this is called Understanding Storms and How to Get Through Them. All right, so um, Jonah has been running from God, and I missed an opportunity last week when we talked about running to bring up the most famous runner in the whole world, and that is Forrest Gump. Uh, he is famous for being someone who is always running, and Jonah, as we learned last week, is running from God. He does not want to do God's will. That's very simply the base part of this story. He doesn't love the Assyrian pagans that God wants to send him to. They live in a city called Nineveh, so we can call them Ninevites too. Uh, he does not want to bring a, a message of God's love and God's forgiveness to them. He wants no part of this mission. As uh, And here's a picture of... Uh, a relief that is found on one of the uh, the walls there in one of the cities that the archaeologists have dug up. And this picture shows just them piling heads of their enemies. This, these are Assyrians. They're, they're just having a good old time uh, with the decapitated heads of their enemies. Jonah, he can't stand these people. They are very violent. He considers them terrorists. This is a terrorist state that he hates. And uh, so Jonah is running from God. He refuses to submit to God's control, okay, God's mission. It's like a, an army uh, officer refusing to do what his commander tells him to do. Jonah has been recruited, been drafted into the Lord's army, as you could say, uh, he's been called a prophet, but here he is refusing to do what God has asked him to do. God wants to bring a message of mercy and love to the people of Assyria, even though they're horrible, murderous, terrorist people, and God cares about them and loves them. And Jonah thinks that's nuts, and he refuses to, to do that. He thinks it's positively un-American. Um, Jonah... Since he can't submit to God's control, he's in a real pickle. And so the issue for Jonah is he has to run from God since he can't control God. Now, I have never done that. And I know you have never done that. I say that facetiously because many times when we are running from God, that is the exact situation that we find ourselves in. When we can't control him, when we don't want to do his will, we run from him. And we run to all sorts of other things and things that we think will give our lives meaning. When in reality, we're just wanting, running from the one person who provides everything for us. And we're missing out on his love, as we will see. So Jonah, you know, he's saying, not God's will be done, but my will be done. Uh, God's will is crazy, Jonah thinks. God's will is difficult. God's will is dangerous. If he goes and preaches to these people, he's probably going to get killed. God's will is unfair to me, and it's unfair to my family, and it's unfair to my nation. Remember, these Assyrians were murdering Jews. 
They were having raids on the outskirts of Israel. And in fact, they had come and invaded Israel and conquered them at one point and demanded tribute and left with a huge portion of their gold and resources. So Jonah is absolutely nowhere close to being able to love these horrible, wicked sinners. He's not doing it. Well, so Jonah, because he's not doing it, he's rejecting God's will, okay? God's will, rejected. Do you know what, it call, what, what we call it when someone rejects God's will uh, in order to do their own will? We call that sin. God calls that sin. That's what sin is. It's not a list of rules that we break. It's, it's when we purposely go against God's will. Now, the list of rules that we find in the Bible does show us what God's will looks like. And so we see Jesus. He comes on the scene. Let's fast forward a couple thousand years. Jesus comes on the scene. He keeps the Ten Commandments perfectly. But it's not like it was a list of rules he was uh, trying to follow. That he, he just kept the Ten Commandments naturally because he was submitted to God's will in all ways. Uh, he, he never would do something that was against his Father's will. So he kept those Ten Commandments perfectly. When we break the Ten Commandments, it, it's not this uh, list of things that's, that, that we're going against. It's that we, we have a hard time with the God and his will who gave who described what a perfect life, what a godly life would look like through those Ten Commandments. But we call it sin when a man rejects God's will. And Jonah, he's walking, he's running in sin, running as far away he can get. So he's chosen to, to walk and run in this path of sin. Oh my, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's saying, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do it. I am out of here. What do you think will happen when a person chooses to run away from God and down a path of sin? Well, we're going to find out today. Um, choosing to sin is choosing a storm. Let me say that again. Choosing to sin is choosing a storm. The safest place to be is in God's will. Okay, those two sentences go together. Choosing a sin is choosing a storm, but the safest place to be is in God's will or doing God's will. Jonah is running, but God, he's not going to let Jonah go. Not because God is mean, but because God loves him and is pursuing him and does not want him to have the unfortunate consequences of a life of sin, but he wants him, to, he wants to bring him back in as a child that he loves. Just like when your kid runs away angry, you run after them. Like you don't want them to run into the, the street and get hit by a car. You're chased down your beloved children, just like God is chasing down his beloved Jonah. It's almost like this Spongebob meme. You come back here and let me love you. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And as we go through this section of, of this book, this classic literature book that we see, as we go through this section, keep in, uh, keep in mind the story of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son 
in your mind and in your heart. And we will see that Jonah is going to fit that role perfectly. Now we're going we're gonna to go over there real quick to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read a, the first portion of that parable that Jesus tells about the story of the prodigal son. It's an absolutely amazing, heart-wrenching story of love and forgiveness. And it starts out like this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falls to me, or my inheritance, he's saying. So basically, what this first son, the younger son, says is, I wish you were dead, Dad. I wish you were dead. If you were dead, I would get my inheritance. I could do whatever I want to do, but I wish you were dead now. So why don't you just give me my inheritance now and I can be done with you? Yeah, he's a, he's a bratty little kid, right? Uh, he, he's basically saying, if we could link it up with Jonah, I don't want your will I'm not going to do your will. I want my will. Okay? Sounds like a typical teenager to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So the dad, he gives it to him. He lets him leave. And he said, and, and it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That means simply that he ran away. He ran away. He wanted to do his own life. He went down his own path of sin, okay? Not doing what his father wants. He used his life and his resources on the opposite of what his father wanted. That's called sin, okay? He created a distance between himself and his father. He created that distance. His dad didn't do that. He did because of his Sin And of course, the same thing is true with us. Our sin creates a division or a distance between us and God. And all of us are born sinners, so we're used to that. We're used to feeling and being distant from God. And only through Jesus and what he has done can that distance be erased by the blood of Jesus, by the cross that Jesus died on. We can be brought back. The sin can be thrown away and we can be brought back into a perfect relationship with God. And then it says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Okay? Here we have a storm. Not all storms are snowstorms like we had last night, or rainstorms. Some of them can be a famine storm like this. And this storm helped him, the young man, see the error of his ways. And it helped him feel his need and his brokenness. The storm had, had a, a job to do, and it did it well. Storms have a purpose in your life and in my life. There is always a storm when we sin. God sends a storm. When we sin, because God is a faithful, loving Father, He will always send that storm because storms are the best way for us to learn. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should repent. 
God always sends a storm when we sin. I, remember, that's the this first lesson that we're learning today from Jonah is God always sends a storm when we sin. But, 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 not every storm is because of sin. Not every storm that we encounter is because of sin. But every time we sin, there will be a storm associated with that sin. Do you understand? So like with Job, Job went through horrible, terrible things, a, a mighty storm, you could say, but it wasn't his fault. We're told that, that he, did not, he did not sin and cause uh, that storm to happen in his life, but it was, it was for other reasons that we get into in the book of Job. And Jesus talks about the same thing. So not every storm is a punishment from God. Storms often come for other reasons, like to strengthen our faith. Sometimes you did nothing wrong, but bad things are happening to you. And, and that could be to strengthen your faith or to test your faith. You know, maybe your faith hasn't been tested in a while and God wants to go through a process of testing your faith, which is going to reveal where you're at. It's going to reveal how you respond. He could be doing it to show off your faith. You trust God so much and God knows it. So he's going to bring a storm into your life and other people are going to be like, what is go? How can you trust in God when you're going through such difficult things? How can you praise God's name and be so close to him when you are suffering as you are? And that could be a huge witness to this world. God could send a storm because others are sinning and we are in the same boat with them. A lot of times this is your family. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. And you're going through horrible storms because of their choices. Yeah, it could be that. But every time we choose to walk in sin... We choose to walk in sin. There will be a storm from God because he is a faithful father. He's willing to send a storm to his beloved child because he wants them back home. He hates the distance between us and he wants us in his presence with him, dwelling with him in his presence because he knows in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is everything that we need. He is our very source of life. That's the way it was when we were created. It's the way it still is today. Anything that's not from him is a, is a false life. It's a false sense of, of value and security. There is no life apart from the source and giver of life, which is God. So with all that being said, we're going to get into our little, uh, our, our little portion that we're going to get into right now. So that was just our introduction. Obviously, we're not going to go that long. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. But Jonah arose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid. So he paid the fare. Highlight that. Those, those three words, paid the fare in your Bible. You need to have that highlighted. Very important. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah shows us that fleeing from God is a downward descent. 
Do you see that? How many times do we see the word down just in these first six verses of the book of Jonah? He is constantly going down. You're not getting anywhere but worse when you're fleeing from God. When you're running from the Lord, you're not going to ever end up in a better place than where you started. No matter what you think, no matter how justified you feel from running from God, it is never going to work. It is always down, down, down. And it says Jonah has to pay the fare. Jonah has to pay the fare. When we choose, when Jonah chooses a life of sin, a path of sin, there is always going to be a price that has to be paid and you never get away for free. How many times do you guys get those phone calls saying you've won a free vacation? And if you've ever taken one, generally you have to go and sit through a uh, timeshare spiel and they hold you hostage and it's a high price to pay for a free vacation. We did it once and I had told my wife, we will never do this again. <laughs> it's a higher price than I wanted to pay for a free vacation. No, nope, you never get away for free when you're living a life of sin. It's always more than you thought it would be too. The fare is always steeper than you thought it was going to be. Jonah thinks this is just the money for the ticket. He doesn't realize that his trip is going to include a disaster death storm. He didn't win, uh, He didn't read the fine print. And this isn't a free trip that he's won. This is a, a disaster trip that he is paying for. He doesn't get it. The devil never reminds you that there's going to be a price to pay for rejecting God's will for running away on your own. He never reminds you about that. You're always surprised when you get to the, uh, the ticket office and have to pay for your own ticket. He's, he just says that you can get away from that big, meanie God and you do not have to submit to his control. He calls this freedom. You can get away from God. Just pay the price for your freedom and you'll be free from him. All of his rules, all of his control. And he forgets to tell you about the storms and he forgets to remind you of God's love and, and the life that flows from God that he wants us to have. What's the cost? You know, he thinks he's won this golden ticket, but he's forgotten about the cost. Jonah has paid his fare now. He's bought his golden ticket. He thinks he's found a way out, a place that he can get away from God and God's mission that he doesn't want to go on, but he is wrong. It says here, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. In Hebrew, it says he threw it the same way a, 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 an army, or excuse me, a warrior would throw a spear. The word is throw. He threw out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. So God throws this storm like a spear and, uh, and you know, here we're seeing every sin will bring you difficulty. It's, it's going to happen. These are the rules. Sin has consequences. Our bodies and our health have consequences from sinful choices. You smoke for 80 years, you're not going to live to 80 years, but you'll die. 
you'll have consequences. If you sin with relationships, your, the, your friendships and your people that you're close to, your relationships are going to suffer. When you sin um, in, in your relationships with this world, all of society suffers because you refuse to look out for the good of, of this world. There are consequences to every single sin. But there's also an opportunity to turn around at every moment. And that turnaround we call repent, repentance. Jonah could have changed directions at any moment, even though he feels like he's stuck in this boat, stuck in a storm. None of it is really holding him prisoner. He can turn. He could repent and God will take care of the storm, and God will take care of the boat. God just is asking him, Jonah, repent. He's working in Jonah's heart. I can tell some of us think that we have gotten away with some of our sins, that we never experienced a storm, even though I did that one thing, and I feel like I've gotten away from it, away with it. Well, you see, not all storms are immediate. Some are like radiation. All seems fine until you learn later that you have cancer. My uh, grandfather, so Fitz, my dad, stepdad, his dad was in the uh, army in uh, you know World War II times. And one story that I heard of him is is he was doing some work down when they were testing nuclear uh, bombs. And as he, uh, him and another guy were driving in a car or a Jeep or something, and something got confused and they saw the bomb go off. They could actually see where the bomb was going off. And so there was like a wind and dust storm and it came right at them. So these two guys were driving. My grandfather was in the, the passenger seat and there was another guy in the driver's seat. And uh, so as they saw this happen, my grandfather put his head down and, and tried to get down low in the car. And the other guy put his head out the window so he could see as he was driving. Now, obviously, this wind had a, a bunch of radiation. And there was consequences for both of these guys. I heard that the guy who stuck his head out the window, he died three, late, three days later from radiation poisoning. And my grandfather died three years later. Something like that. I think that was the story. I think I'm getting it right. Um, and these are examples of, of the different slow-burning storms that can happen. Um, like bitter thoughts. When we have bitter thoughts, unforgiveness, when we choose to live angrily at things that have happened to us, we choose to, to not forgive, but to hold it inside and become bitter. What that does is it feels satisfying at the time. Um, it feels satisfying to fantasize about the payback for the people that have done you wrong. It's like smoking a cigarette. At the moment, there is some sort of feeling. I've never done it, but there's a feeling... I've heard that that is pleasurable for the moment, but the consequences later are unavoidable and and terrible. 
okay? So if you have this bitter unforgiveness in your life, this is an example, it will slowly enlarge your capacity for self-pity. And it will erode your ability to trust anyone or to enjoy relationships. If you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness to these people over here that have hurt you, just know you are going to erode your own ability to enjoy these people. And, and you're going to be constantly thinking that they're, they're going to hurt you the same way. And it's going to be very, very difficult for you to ever trust and enjoy the relationships that God has given you. It will drain your happiness out of your daily life all because of bitterness and all because of unforgiveness. Numbers chapter tw uh, 32 verse 23 is a very, very somber, serious verse. It says, Take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> it's not like God even has to try. Our sin takes on a life of its own, and its mission is to find you out or to take you down. Your sin will find you out. There's no getting away from it. But... There is mercy, and there is grace, and there is forgiveness with God. And like Jonah, at any time, you can turn and go back to God. Again, that was Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. All right, so Jonah now is in a storm. He's in this boat. And so we're going to ask a few questions. What is happening on the boat what do the pagans and the believers do differently, and what can we learn from it? Um, these mariners were afraid, we're going to find, and every man, well, let's read. The, then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. So look at this. They're all seeking the good of everyone on board. All these sailors are working together to, to try to, to help everybody survive. But Jonah, it says, had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Uh, it's really funny. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew Old Testament, adds a little footnote here. It says he actually began to snore. And the tense of the verb is that he saw the storm, he saw all the people working, and then he chose to go down and go to sleep. Instead of being helpful, Jonah, he is not helpful, Jonah. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, and perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. So the chaos on this boat is frantic. There is pandemonium on this ship. And we are told how the pagans act. And how Jonah acts. And the pagan unbelievers act better than Jonah at every point. This is going to happen twice in the book of Jonah. 
both with the, uh, Jonah's going to be attached to two different groups of pagans, one being the sailors and the other being the Assyrians. And both times, the pagans are going to act more righteously than Jonah does. And that's the point of this book. Guys, when God's people won't choose God's will, they are no better than pagans who don't know God at all. This book is written to God's people to shine a light on our hypocrisy, on our unlovingness, on our racism. And and that is the point of this book, to show us, to reveal to us that we can so easily become, uh, we can feel like we're better than other people because we know God and we're called by his name. And so let's ask some questions. How are we going to treat people who are different than us? Not just different, but wicked people, evil people, dirty people, poor people, pagan people. How are we going to treat them? God's will is for his people to be an image of himself. He wants us to look like him. He's not angry, per se, at, at all the pagans of the world. He is more grieved, and, and he's very passionate about their good. He wants good to be done to them. And he knows that the best for each man and each woman in every culture around the whole world is to walk with him in obedience, to know him, and to receive his life. That is their best. So he longs for, and he works to that end. He wants what is truly best for every human. So as God's people and representatives, we should, tr- should treat people with respect and honor and love and mercy and justice. Now, let's contrast Jonah with the pagan sailors. So everything that we can see here in just these three verses, let's do a little contrast. First, Jonah fled from God Because he didn't want to tell pagans about God. Now, pagans are telling him about God. How he should approach God. How he, what he should do with God. Pagans are telling him. Jonah is sleeping in the boat. He's sleeping a depressed, escapist sleep. Avoiding anything that could help anyone. He's saying, I'm not a part of it. I don't want to be part of this culture. I don't want to be part of this boat. I'm not involved. Very selfish. The pagans are praying. The pagans are working for the good of everyone in the ship, even though the storm wasn't even their fault. That's what the pagans are doing. Jonah could have at least been praying for them, but no, he doesn't. Jonah was trying to escape reality while the pagans are trying to deal with it. The pagans are very aware of what's going on. Jonah is out of touch with the storm. He's not even paying attention, but the pagans are very aware of what is going on around them. Jonah is absorbed with his own problems while they are working for the good of everyone in the boat. Jonah, he's a spiritual man by reputation, and he doesn't pray, but the pagans do pray. The pagans realize Get this, that this is a divine storm. They think, yep, this is from God. 
<coughs> obviously God is mad at, at, at somebody on this boat, and we don't even know who God is, but they're praying and they're trying to figure it out. Jonah doesn't realize any of this. He may realize it, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. The pagans are not too prideful or narrow to call upon Jonah's God. Even though Jonah wouldn't even do that. They are willing to try, though they don't even know anything about God. They're willing to try. They're more willing than Jonah is. Even though Jonah knows about God, Jonah knows about God's love and God's mercy, and that he could repent, that they could repent, but Jonah, he's not even willing to do it. God sent this prophet, his own prophet, to call pagans to himself, and now the pagans are calling the prophet back to God. Jonah, you should pray. You should seek God. Isn't that crazy how this is being flipped around? At every point in the story, the pagans are better than Jonah. Remember that. Jonah should have been learning a lesson here, and so should we. What lesson? The captain asked Jonah, can't you see that we're about to die? Aren't you going to help us? Why aren't you doing anything for us? These questions show us what's wrong with Jonah's ministry mindset. He didn't care. He didn't love. He didn't put their needs first. He didn't seek the good of his neighbors. He only wanted to spend his life serving his church, basically, the, the, the nation of Israel where he lived. He wanted nothing to do with the world and the people that were lost in the world, the people that didn't know God. He, he didn't care. We are all in the same boat with the people of this world. If crime or health or jobs are in trouble, we are all in the same boat with the people who are suffering greatest. We're in the same neighborhood. And because Jonah fled, it doesn't mean that he gets out of a boat. He just gets in a different boat. He, he, he does not want to serve the pagans, so he flees. He only wants to serve people who are believers. But we are all co-humans with all people in this world. We are all made in his image and so infinitely precious to God. Every human being, no matter what culture they've been born into or what lies they've believed or what sins they've committed, they're infinitely precious to God. Jonah is not praying for them. He's not telling them how to have a relationship with the one true God. He's holding it all in. And his silence is deafening because it, it's, it's showing what is in his heart. It's revealing that he doesn't have the love and the mercy of God in his own heart. In fact, it's showing us that he needs the love and mercy of God for himself. He really doesn't even understand it. And Jonah, he's not... Uh, Obviously, he's not telling them anything, but he's also not serving them practically either. He's not even helping them. And God commands us as his followers to do both, to tell people about his love and mercy and grace, to invite them to know him, and also to serve them practically. We're supposed to share the gospel and the truth with this world 
and help them through the storms, through practical needs. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith or such faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it, if it does not have works, is dead. So James here, he tells us what, what real faith looks like, and real faith will do kind and loving things. So who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to serve and help? Well, Jesus, he tells us that it's anyone who is in need. That you can see or that you are confronted with. No matter who they are or what they have done, Jesus says, love them. Serve them and, and uh, tell them about me and what I've done for them. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told us? The Good Samaritan was uh, the Samaritan was a person who was hated by the Jews and they were called half-breeds and they were not seen as spiritual, they were seen as, as bad people. But there was someone injured on the side of the road and a Samaritan came and took care of them and, and loved them and provided for them and, and, um, and all the uppity Jewish religious people just passed by because they didn't want to be... Uh, bothered by helping this guy. And Jesus says that good Samaritan did the will of God and showed the love of God. And Jonah is the opposite of the good Samaritan. He doesn't he doesn't care about the people who are suffering. He doesn't care about the storms other people are in. He doesn't care. So James and Jesus both agree that if you say you know God and have faith in him and you don't help those people in need, you are proving yourself that your faith is unreal. It's fake. It's hypocritical. Jonah is asleep to the needs of all those people around him. He's asleep to the will of God. He is sleeping in the boat. You know what? Another guy slept on a boat during a storm in the Bible. Do you know who that guy was? 32 Jesus points if you say, Jesus, there you go. I virtually award you so many Jesus points. Okay. Uh, obviously, Jesus points are fake and they're all made up. Jesus slept on a boat because he was doing God's will. He was surrendered to God's will and he was trusting in God's will. Jonah slept on a boat because he's running away from God's will. He doesn't care about the people on the boat. It's a two different types of sleeping. Jesus had peace because he never ignored God. Jonah sought peace because he was ignoring God. Jesus understood who controlled the storm. Jonah was running from the one who controlled the storm. Jesus trusted his father to remember him and to protect him through the storm. So much trust that he just was able to relax. Jonah wanted to escape the storm altogether and hope that God would just forget about him 
But if we're, you know, push came to shove, Jonah would rather die than do God's will at this point. It all goes back to, jo- to God's will. Jesus embraced it, did it, even though it led to his own death, while Jonah rejected it and chose to live in sin. When you find yourself in a storm, do a quick assessment. Have I rejected God's will in any way? Have I chosen to run from God's will? And is that the cause of this storm? Just ask yourself those honest questions. No one else can ask you those questions. And and, and you could just lie to everybody else, but you can't really lie to yourself when you ask those questions. And if the answer is yes, you have run from God's will, you have chosen to sin, then there's a simple, simple, simple solution. Repent. Just tell God, God, I have done this. And I'm sorry. And I want to do your will. I need your forgiveness. You confess your sin to the Lord and you step forward to do his will. You just start walking with him. If the answer is no, I haven't rejected God and I haven't, I'm not running from God, but I'm still in the storm, then God will get you through that storm in his own way and in his own time and you can trust him. He will get you through. Trust him. And he gives you permission to relax. He gives you permission to lay down and rest. He gives you rest in the middle of your storm. He says, it's okay, I got this. I know that you love me. I know that you want to do my will. And this storm will be for my glory. Thank you, he would even say to us, for trusting me in the middle of a storm. Look around while you're in that storm, for how you can serve those around you who may be in the same storm or a storm of their own. Pray for them and trust in the love and goodness of God. And then that's what we should and can learn through this book of Jonah and how to uh, get through storms and understanding what storm we may be in. God bless you all. If you need anything at all, if you want to pray, if you want to get to know God more, please give me a call, send me a message. I'd love to connect with you and help you in any way to know God or serve him. Uh, We love you and hope you guys have a great, great uh, week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy and grace that even though we fail so many times, you never fail us. You never fail to pursue us. You never fail. Uh, You're not an absentee dad. You are uh, always there for us. Yet we run from you so much, but you always... Forgive us if we should repent, if we can turn back to you. You will pick us up and deliver us back into your own arms, in your own presence. And Lord, some of us may need that right now. Some of us would say, we're sorry for running away from you. We're sorry, God. And, and we've, we've walked our own path and we do believe that Jesus is the one way to the Father. That his death on the cross paid the price for all sin in the world and including ours. And we pray that you would forgive us and and just grab us and hold us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all. I hope you, uh, again, have a great week and I look forward to seeing you soon. Talk to you later.